source to pay, RFI, RFP, procure to pay, goods receipt, accounts payable. It's easy to get lost in procurement jargon, but at the end of the day, it's all just about buying better. And that's what I try to help you with here at Pure Procurement. what software that you you implement if you don't have your data right before you implement it there's no amount of software in the world that's going to fix it hey everybody welcome to another episode of pure procurement where we demystify procurement and source to pay to show you how it can be a value creator for your business today we're talking about how you can leverage the spend data you currently have in your organization to enable better decision making in 10 years of working with clients on procurement improvement mandates, I've never worked with an organization that had excellent spend data. For a multitude of reasons, organizations typically have their spend data all over the place. Perhaps your company has grown by merger and acquisition and you have multiple procurement systems, or maybe you don't have a procurement system, so different groups within the organization have developed their own processes for capturing spend data in Excel, for example. Whatever the case may be, this dynamic creates an environment where it's extremely hard to get a consolidated view of your vendors and your spend to take a good sourcing and buying decision. The most touted solution for this problem over the past few years has been the implementation of a source-to-pay suite such as Coupa, Ivalua, SAP Ariba, Jagger, or Zykus. However, this is a solution that is costly and takes months, if not years, to implement. Implementing a source-to-pay software certainly has its merits, but it falls short when you want actionable insight in a matter of days or weeks. My guest today, Susan Walsh, or the classification guru, is an expert in spend data cleansing, classification, and taxonomies. She's worked with dozens of organizations over the last eight years to help them find invaluable insight in what they consider to be useless data. I was super interested to hear about her process to get from useless data to goldmine, so we covered that first. During the second half of the interview, or around minute 24, I asked her about her thoughts on when you should turn to data classification instead of turning to source-to-pay software. And being a fervent supporter of source-to-pay applications myself, this was a fascinating exchange. We wrapped up by nerding out on commodity taxonomies such as the popular UNSPSC or United Nations Standard Products and Services Code. When you should use it, when you should not, uh, when you should create your own custom taxonomy, and this was all around minute 27 of the interview. Honestly, it was a fun conversation with someone who has clearly gotten in the weeds on these subjects. I go to a lot of parties, and it's not often that you can talk about commodity taxonomies with anybody. Usually it gets you thrown out. Anyways, without further delay, please enjoy Sue and I's chat. I'll see you again at the end of the episode. Hi, Sue. Thanks for, for joining me today. My pleasure. So I thought we uh, would discuss, as we mentioned, uh, how you can get value from your procurement data before you even start implementing a source-to-pay system like Ariba, Evalua, Coupa, Zykus, all those big brand name on yeah. the market. But first, before we, we dive into that subject matter, I wanted to ask you a question on how you developed uh, such a deep interest in in data and data flow modeling, data classification, how did you get mixed up in such a niche world? It was absolute complete accident. Um, I had opened my first business, which was a women's clothing shop, and had to shut that down after about eight months uh, with a lot of debt. And I was desperate for a job. 
went online, found an ad for some data classification work with a spend analytics company. Um, had never had any kind of interactions with that world before. But as soon as I started classifying the data, uh, I just felt like it came really naturally to me. I picked it up really quickly. And because I had worked in companies previously, I felt like I was bringing in an added level of knowledge to the classification because I understood what the businesses were spending their money on. And and that's how it started. And it kind of, after about five years working there and managing a team and helping grow the business, I decided that there was an opportunity to offer just the, the data prep, the data classification, the data cleansing side as a standalone service, not part of an overall software service or consultancy or or, or part of something else. And so far, so good. Great. Awesome. Yeah, because you've been operating as uh, the classification guru for for a little while now, right? Yeah, I'm coming up for my three-year anniversary, which in itself is pretty amazing. Ah, congratulations. My first business, yeah, didn't make a year. Um, and I know a lot of businesses are lucky to make it to three or five years. So I'm hanging on in there. Awesome. Well, uh, it'll it'll give us a lot of meat to go through through this interview then. And I guess you must be, does the... Uh, the fact of, of getting a, a set of data all clean also gets you excited? Yeah, it does. And and before I meet with the client, uh, I'm excited on their behalf because they don't... It's hard to see the potential until the product or the data sheet is finished. And then there are endless opportunities in terms of supplier rationalization, cost savings, any kind of rogue transactions... And I love the getting feedback on, on how they've been able to save money or improve processes because of something that, that I've done that I really enjoy doing. So would you say those those are the main types of value that uh, data cleansing, classification, data flow modeling provide? Yes, that as well as time saving for the people doing it. Um, so I do this on a day in, day out basis and have done for eight years. So... I'm very efficient, very knowledgeable. When I come across a lot of suppliers, I've classified them many times before. So I'm very comfortable in knowing whether the classification is right or not or what to classify them as. Okay. Um, as well as that, it, there's there's the kind of the unknown quantifiable uh, side, which is helping to prevent costly mistakes that might happen if you haven't. Got oh, yeah, so there's data. a piece of uh, risk management in there, risk mitigation, minimization. Yeah. Okay, great. So so yeah. all these terms we're using can seem pretty intangible, right, to some of the views who haven't necessarily played a lot in, in data. So I'm really interested in getting your perspective, yeah. right? So a company you come in would generally have, well, I'll say dirty data uh, or, or incomplete yeah. data or a lot of duplicates, whether it be in vendors, yeah. invoices, uh, purchase orders, or even P-card data. When you show up at a company, what's your process to to say, okay, well, uh, what's the state of the data today and uh, what can we do to get to a perfect set of data or data that that we'll be able to pull those insights from, whether it be cost savings or uh, supplier base or, you know, identifying tail spend or what have you? Yeah, 
Um, so I, I treat it very much on a client by client basis. I don't have a standard template that I use. I will when before I've started and when I'm at the, the quote process, I'll ask to see a sample of the data. And at that point, I can then look at what level of detail is available and, and gauge um, if I can meet their objectives with that level of data. So uh, a lot of my clients have never had classified data before. So it's a really good starting point to work with me. You know, they don't have to learn any technology. They're not responsible for doing anything. They can just trust me with it and they'll get something back that's that's usable and actionable. And, and w- which steps would you would you usually start with? If I had a bunch of uh, invoice data or purchasing data and I wanted to get a, a better handle on what it represents for my company. So the first point of call will always be supplier normalization. It is a great tool, not only because you will find that you'll have multiple versions of the same supplier and files, um, which is particularly prevalent in global companies or companies with multiple divisions, where maybe the systems don't talk to each other. So you maybe have IBM, I.B.B.M., IBM Inc. We standardize that to IBM. That then gives you a true picture of how much you're spending with each supplier without having to even classify anything, which in itself is invaluable. But that also means that when I start to classify that data, it's going to help me be consistent and accurate because I have more of the same suppliers under one normalized name. Okay. So I'm not classifying IBM five times. I'm classifying it once under a normalized name. So it's it's about getting your... Your supplier base normalized, and then from there you're able to hook on all of the spend data to those different suppliers. Yeah, can be more efficient, more effective. Yeah. So after you've normalized your vendors, you're you have other data sources like PCART data, invoices, maybe some PO data as well. Uh, I'm guessing the next step is taking all of those different sources of data and hooking them up onto your list of normalized vendors so that you have a that picture of spend. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so I can I have data mo- modeling software and visualization software that I use. So I can take multiple file sources and pull them all together. Even if they're in different formats? It tends, I tend to work in Excel, but they may come from different systems. Yeah, and I meant like different columns, different, uh, different data sets. Oh, yeah, no, that's not a problem at all. So within my software, I can then standardize the columns. So you might find that in system A... It's column one is the name, and then in system B, the name is called column two. So I can standardize it all and make sure that it all, all adds up to the same. And that's when you can then check for duplicate POs and okay. also where where there might be similar PO numbers, but not quite the same. So, for example, it ends in a zero and one ends in an, the letter O but it's actually the same PO. That, that's a potential fraudulent okay. activity. And I guess the, the other pieces where I'd be curious to, to hear you on is uh, commodity code, right? So often I'll have either non-purchase yeah. order invoices or, or even P-card data that doesn't have a commodity code attached to it because that, that's usually a purchasing principle in, in different systems. So how do, you, how do you get around that or how do you go about assigning those different values to uh, those different pieces of spend? So if, if there's existing information, 
when I've normalized the suppliers, I can then match on name and description. And if there's an existing commodity code, I can map that over. So that's really simple. And then anything that's left over, I would then do manually to make sure that it's correct. And then, so the next time that that information then shows up, I'll be able to then map map it over again. So it'll be semi-automated, okay. if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Based on a business rule that would be for that business or for that industry. If that's what's been specified, yes, I can do that. So like I know we, we, we chatted uh, previously a couple of times and you, you had mentioned the example of DHL where, you know, depending on the industry or how you're using that supplier, it might have different commodities that need to be attached to it, right? Yeah, and hotels too. So first of all, DHL, you, myself, possibly yourself, we might be using DHL as a courier postal service. But if you're a manufacturer, then it's more likely to be logistics and warehousing. But for me, because most of my process is is more manual, that's that's my knowledge. That's where my knowledge comes into play. That's harder to automate. You have to know the the industry that the company you're classifying for to specify what it would be. So I think you always need to just have that human eye to just double check. But same with um, hotels. So a hotel is a hotel, but it might not be, which sounds a bit funny. But if it's, say, a 50 grand of spend with a hotel, the chances are that that's going to be venue hire, room hire, some kind of function. Right. If it's $5,000, then that might just be accommodation. So it's... You can set a rule for that quite easily, but it's there's the there's a bit of knowledge and experience in there as well. For sure, and and that's that's what I'm getting a sense of uh, with the value that you would bring in one of these mandates, right? Having done it a, a bunch of times in for different yeah. vendors and different industries or different clients and in industries, I should say, you're able to know. Yes. Okay, well these, you know, I know in my mind I have this database of tens of thousands of vendors that I've seen over the years and. Uh, you know, I know that when I get to these vendors, their specific cases because they operate in different industries and and in different commodities as well. So there's judgment to be uh, put into place there. Yeah, and even sometimes suppliers with names that look obvious to what they do, but but it's not actually what they do. Uh, I can't. I'm trying to think off the top of my head of of an example, but it could be Bob's Cars. So you would assume that it was a vehicle maintenance or a taxi firm, but actually in this instance, it might be a toy shop. So that again, that's when your knowledge and experience comes in. You look at the supplier name, you look at the description, and then you Google just to make sure. And that's when you find actually it's a toy shop. It's not what I thought it was. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, those are the types of mistakes that People that will be looking at the data later on in reports or whatnot, they'll, they'll know because they're part of the business and these are suppliers that they're dealing with on a daily basis. But if you if you didn't catch that at the outset when doing your first spend exercise, then they lose all confidence in the data, right? Exactly. And it highlights the needs that you for looking not only not at just the description or the supplier name, but both uh, in conjunction with each other. Right. Uh, and another example, I had someone that I was uh, trialing to come to work for me at my previous role and the supplier was LinkedIn. The description was restaurant and it had been classified as a restaurant. Okay. 
Now I know talking here, you think that must be really obvious, but if if someone's not trained in the right way, they might just look at the description and not think to look at the supplier name at all. And that's where the, the restaurant classification came from. And and that's a true example. So that that's happening in real life right now within organizations. Right. I see I see how that can be a problem. And you mentioned tools a little bit earlier and I'd be interested to yeah. know what tools you use to do that process and what, what value it brings, right? In terms of being able to automate. Yeah, so pretty invaluable to me. I've been using Omniscope, uh, which is made by Visokio for eight years now. And during that time, I've developed my own methodology on how to, the best way to classify data and also some really great checks to in place to make sure that the data is accurate if it's already been classified or once it's finished by doing final checks. So I can very quickly spot where there's maybe multiple classifications against the one vendor where there shouldn't be. So if it's like ABC taxis and there might be four lines classified as taxi and one line classified as travel. So then I know we can fix that and change that and, and make the data more accurate, but then ultimately filters up into reporting and analytics and decision making. Okay. When you come in to do one of these one of these mandates, right? Does the the tool works as an ETL, I would imagine? Like this the client sends you files to put into Omniscope, you work your magic in there with the different methods that we've outlined previously and then you're yeah. able to spit them out uh, back to the, the client. Yeah, I don't have uh, any connection to my client system. They will send me an Excel file. I will take that. I'll put that into Omniscope. I'll do the work I need to do. And then I will export that back to Excel and send it back to the client. And then they can uh, do what they need to do with that. Sometimes they'll put it back into their own system. And sometimes they'll uh, just use it as a spreadsheet and do some reporting and analytics. Okay. And and I guess for because Excel does have a a line limit, right? I think it's like around sixty five thousand or something like that. I would say I I struggle at about fifty. I think. Yeah, it starts uh, getting this... slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did some uh, database cleansing for a client at the end of last year, and I pulled together nine sources of information, and that came to two point eight million rows. So this can handle a significant amount of of, of information, and and it was could still handle more than that so it's it's really not an issue okay and i guess then you you um, you get it in chunks if it's from excel or and then you you uh, put it in chunks yeah. as well yeah so actually when it came to sending the file back to the client i deduped the 2.8 million rows down to 1.3 million rows that was still too big for excel so then i had to further split the file into um i think it was a mailchimp list mailing list so i had okay. to split it into subscribed and unsubscribed so that they could actually open the file right okay so it's yeah omniscope's not the problem it's the other the other tools yeah there's always ways around these things though okay i'd be you're uh, piquing my curiosity here <laughs> do you have a, <laughs> an example yeah so um for example there'll be a lot of people working at home right now and they'll maybe want to be looking at some large files in say excel that they would normally maybe have access to a different system in the office, but for whatever reason, they can't do that at home. And as we've just talked about, Excel can't handle a, a massive amount of information. It will freeze, it will crash, um, you might even lose some data. 
So what I would suggest is that you would split that data up by department or division or by country and, and look at it in chunks like that. I wouldn't suggest an A to Z split, but but if you can do it by, by a department, then that's the best way to, to try and keep consistency within the data. So, so there's little tips and tricks that you can get around things. Yeah, and you're able to... If you do it that way, you're able to take out your numbers by region, for example, and then build that build up your reporting that way if, if you need to. Yes. Okay. So then if if for some reason something went wrong with the region file that you were working on, it would only be the region part that was affected. Whereas if you did an E to Z split or, you know, in different parts of the alphabet, it would affect multiple different countries, regions, divisions if you were working that way. And then so it's a it mess. just protects things. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're trying to avoid. Okay. And then just uh, last thing from like a um, technical perspective uh, for licenses. So you said you, you you could work with a file that your client's given you and send them back. So for uh, for a client, you could literally show up with your own, your own software, like you own the software and the client doesn't even have to get licenses. Exactly. I, I uh, buy the software license annually. They don't have to get involved in it. But also, and another option is that if they want to take it in-house, I can do the first part of the project and then get their staff trained up so that they could then carry that on okay. yeah. themselves. At the end of the day, I think it's really important that organisations own and, and understand and are familiar with their own data. So I'm, I'm really happy to help out and fix things. But the best way to make sure that your data doesn't get into that situation again is for people to, to know, the, the people that are working with the data, to understand it and be looking at it on a daily or regular basis. Right. Yeah, because I would imagine that's, otherwise they're all, they're going to be calling Sue every month. And that, that gets exactly. out of hand real fast, I'm sure. Well, you know, I don't mind that, but <laughs> I think, you know, it's, that's not, it's not a sustainable uh, solution for, for data. Okay. So let's, let's move on to that step then, right? You've come in and and then this first step and help them set up uh, a process and rules to be able to uh, classify, cleanse, and, and put data together that has from multiple data sources so that it, it gives us some insights that we can actually action uh, in the next months. Um, yeah. What are the next steps in terms of being able to automate that or, uh, or bring it to a further maturity level? So yeah, you've got this shiny new data. It's fantastic. It's almost perfect because I would never claim that there's a hundred percent perfect data set out there. And you know that data is continually changing and updating on a minute by minute basis. So it's not going to stay like that for very long. There's going to be new information coming in all the time. So the most important thing to do is to regularly maintain that data. And depending on the volume that you are dealing with, you, I would suggest monthly or quarterly refreshes. And the way that I would do it is if I've classified that first set of data, I can then merge that with the new data. And when it matches on multiple data points, then, then it will class, it'll, the classification will pull through. And then there will always be some new data that hasn't been seen before or hasn't been classified. So then that would be manually classified by myself. Mm. Or the, the people that we've trained, right? Yes, exactly. And from an internal point of view, 
if they don't have the same software that I'm using, I can show them processes or they could write scripts that would pull through the existing classification and basically do it the same way that, that I do it. Okay, interesting. But it's really important to have that human uh, check it the first time round. Yeah, no, absolutely, because as you said, right, it, you might have rules that uh, that don't make sense in the context of your industry or even your, just your business and how you're yeah. using suppliers or how you're, how you're purchasing things. Yeah, and if there's any kind of AI or automation involved, you know, it has to learn from good data. Right, right, yeah, and, and uh, that's I think that's something that, that people don't realize often, right? They'll say, oh, we'll just put AI into the mix and it'll solve all the problems oh, like yeah. a magic bullet, right? Press the magic button and everything's fixed. Yeah, if only. I'm afraid, unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. And so much money has been spent on great software, but then it's not been, the data hasn't been prepped and cleaned before implementation. And either it's caused lots of problems and they've had to pay to fix those, or the staff just haven't engaged and adopted it and they've had to abandon it. And then you've spent all that money on software that doesn't get used. So that is a great segue to my next question, actually, which is because yeah. I mentioned at the outset, right, like the, the tools like Ariba, Coupa, uh, iValue, yeah. uh, and all those those big uh, source-to-pay suites that are on the market right now. Yeah. Um, and I hear I hear this a lot from uh, from folks out in the market as well, and I find it's a bit of a um, short-sighted thinking, right, where our data, our spend data is bad right now. And so we need to implement one of these systems to get good data and therefore take good decisions. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. and so there's this huge mountain to climb where I have to, to roll out a global implementation of a big tool uh, to be able to get to that end, end game. Uh, but I feel like what yeah. we've been discussing is how to get to that end game um, just by manipulating the data and cleansing and, and classifying the data uh, in parallel, right? So I do think that there's there's uh, there's a role for those systems to be in place so that you don't have to do that exercise over and over again, right? You get to a, yeah. a state where the process is uh, is built up to a mature point, right? And so your data inputs yeah. are clean from the from the outset, and you have less of a need for data classification. Yeah, and again, it's. Um... It, it's that working with your data on a regular basis and knowing it because then you start to recognize quite instantly when something's not right. So it just, it makes everything easier in the long run. And and it really doesn't matter what software that you, you implement. If you don't have your data right before you implement it, there's no amount of software in the world that's going to fix it. So... Do you see the, the the services you provide, like the or data classification modeling, and that as as something opposed to source to pay suite, or something that that works with source to pay suite? If that makes no, sense. No, it should absolutely be in a, in hand in hand. It's you, no matter what you are implementing, you have to make sure your data is right before you start. And I think that it needs to be seen more as an investment rather than a cost. Because if it's carried out at the start of any project, there will be much less costs, time, mistakes further down the line. Right, and I see it as, as something you could potentially do in parallel, right? So as you're deploying different sites on your solution, maybe you, yeah. have, one, you have one site, but you still have 10 sites that aren't on the solution so you can still yeah. employ the methods that you've outlined exactly. so far 
to join that with the, the the cleaner data that's in your solution, right? Until you get to that desired end state. Yes. So again, you know, I, I talk about consistency a lot. It is so important to be consistent throughout your your whole company wide. Get, and and like you said, it doesn't matter what systems people are using. If they're work using the same consistent principles and methods, then it's a lot easier. And uh, maybe we can get a bit a bit nerdier here, right? But we talked a little oh, bit about about commodity codes earlier on. Um, yes. And often with these types of systems, when you're starting to to think about that, if you don't already have an internal taxonomy, uh, inevitably the the UNSPSC code or um, hold on, oh, let me yes. try let me try my party trick, the United Nations Standard Products and Services Code. Oh, uh, sure enough. <laughs> I can't. I, I. After all these years, I still don't know the full title. I. I get stuck after United Nations. Yeah, you know the you know, the UN code that that code. You yeah. know that code, right? That one, yeah. So it often comes up in discussion, right? So what are your what, oh. what's your perspective on using that taxonomy, and what are the advantages, the the drawbacks, uh, when when you're a company looking to put further effort into data, data classification on on the procurement side? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I've worked with it an awful lot, so I, I kind of know it inside out, which is possibly not a good thing and very, very nerdy. <laughs> um, so on the positive side, if you have quite a lot of information in your invoice description, then the UNSPSC is a really good place to start because there's a lot of detailed information. You've got lots of different types of nuts, bolts and screws and you know, you can be very specific. It breaks down all the stationery, all the IT products. Um, so it, it can be good. On the flip side, uh, the, the version that I have is there's around 80 odd thousand different options within the taxonomy. And there's at least 10 different variants of Apple. So, you know, I don't work with many companies that need to know different variants of Apple to that degree. Right. So I think they're trying to cater to every, to be everything to everyone. And, and at points it becomes too much. So in that it can be too intimidating, I think for, um, for, for companies to use, especially if they're using their staff to classify because in the beginning it could be hard to navigate. And would you recommend in that case, if, if I'm dead set on using the UNSPSC, should I do an exercise of, of rationalizing it first so that I, I only keep the code that... Uh, that would be a good idea. Yeah. Or but also, there are um, a couple of ins- examples within UNSPSC where you have a couple of items that are repeated. So I think real estate services is one of them. So... It, uh, at the commodity level, you've got real estate services listed twice, but one of them sits under, I think, real estate and one of them sits under sales management. And I've probably got that confused, but it's something like that. I've used it as an example before. So you have to know which level one or which segment is it needs to sit under. And just for those who haven't interacted much with the UNSPSC, I think you're referring to the, the four levels, right? There's four levels of depth in the commodity. Yeah, you've got your segment, which would be your level one, uh, then family, then class, then commodity. Okay. And so you, you're saying uh, you could also, so you need to know the context of your spend within 
but it, actually more it's more like there's more than one right answer so it's again it's about setting those standards and being consistent so it, it, in a lot of cases it might not matter which version you pick as long as you are stick with the the one version okay and do you usually see businesses go all the way down to that fourth level as well i see them try <laughs> i think sometimes they give up before that point and the reason i ask is this is like, I'm wondering, does it provide value to go down to that level, right? Because I think the whole exercise of data classification and, and uh, cleansing is to get you to a point where you're able to take good decisions, right? Data-backed decisions. I think it depends on on the product. So when I was talking about nuts, bolts, and screws, it might be really important for you to know which type of nut that you're buying rather than just a nut. So in that instance, that would be really important. But to another business, they might only want to know that it's hardware. So I think you're getting to to saying that it, it goes back to it depends, right? Which is the, the typical services consulting answer, but it, it's got to be contextual to your business. And back yes. to your point, it's got to be consistent over time. Yes, I would advise that if you don't need that much detail, but it's available to you to put it in because you don't have to use it, but it's there. But if you decided at a later date, if you've only classified to say hardware level, that you then want to know the different types of nuts, bolts and screws, you have to pay for the same exercise again. So it, it, in, in my opinion, it's better to have too much detail than not enough. Because you can always take out the too much detail, but to, to add in the detail, it's timely and costly. Right. And if it's readily available to you, right, you wouldn't necessarily go and, and gather additional detail in a category where you don't have it and you don't yeah. think you I mean, need it. Personally, I'm finding that most, most of my clients don't want that much level of detail. They just want maybe top line like IT or professional services and the the other thing that I would say is that it, depending on what industry you're in the the UNSPSC won't work for you so uh, okay. I'm working with a client right now who's in the charity industry so they have a very specific set of spending and you won't get that that information in the UNSPSC at all so I, I'm building a customized taxonomy for them so so it really depends on the industry and the company and what your objectives are as well. Is there another piece uh, that you'd consider in the decision? So I think the relevance certainly is, is the one you're pointing out right now yeah. is super important. Um, but do you would you consider when you're we're trying to put together a classification or pick a standard, uh, yeah. do you think they should consider as well what their suppliers are using as standard, right? Because I know with catalog, for example, or with uh, EDI or CXML interchanges, like it's often easier to, to line up on a global standard? No, I would say you always have to do what's best for your business. If your suppliers are using a different catalogue, it can always be mapped to whatever you need or whatever your taxonomy is. Um, but the most important thing is is to always have a taxonomy that's suited to the needs of your business, not someone else's. Awesome. Yeah, and, and who's going to be using it within your business, I would imagine, right? If it's accounting, 
procurement and maintenance for those MRO nuts and bolts. Yeah, I don't know if you found this, but but what pro- uh, procurement need to see from their data and what finance need to see are generally two very different things. And also how they class the data as well is very different. Yeah, yeah, because your finance folks are trying to get those balance sheet reports out the door at the end of the month based on the GLs, whereas procurement is yeah. trying to negotiate better over time, right? Yeah, they need more detail. Uh, and and personally, I've worked with a lot of GLs and I find that they're notoriously unreliable. I've worked in businesses where, you know, a GL code could also be a budget or, or a project. It doesn't necessarily have to be an item. And I know from my own experience where... Uh, sales have run out of budget so they've asked to put something under marketing's budget but it's actually sales spend right so you wouldn't know that with a gl code however if you're classifying your data it's based on the supplier so it would be more apparent where the spend should sit oh that's that's interesting yeah because as soon as you said that that happens probably in a hundred percent of the projects i've ever worked in yeah yeah it's it's really (laughs) common yeah, I, I didn't realize it. Yeah, but you, and then if you you're making commodity-based decisions based on the GL information, then you're probably making some decisions that are based on wrong data. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Super interesting, actually. And I don't want to take you too too much of your time here. I appreciate you talking with me. Do you have any uh, any key messages that that you'd like to share with uh, the audience in terms of? data journeys if they're starting to embark on one or they're looking at how to get better yeah so we'll start simple that's that's don't go all in with the software get to know your data get familiar with your data look at it um and i'm saying to people now your data should have a coat so Put your coat on your data before it goes out to go into software so it should be <laughs> consistent it should be organized it should be accurate and it should be trustworthy so if it's not if it's not those things before it goes into software it's certainly not going to be those things when it's in the software right and that's i like that image of, of uh, putting a coat to your data it's very um it's very uk of you there's something special coming on that soon so watch this space okay it's and when you say watch the space where's the the best place people can get a hold of you and your material so I tend to hang out mostly on LinkedIn. So you'll find me at Susan Walsh, The Classification Guru, but you can also find me at theclassificationguru.com and the Classification Guru YouTube channel as well. So uh, whatever your platform of choice is, um, and I'm also on Twitter at Classification G. Cool. And I know you, you run some pretty uh, pretty fun little uh, contests there where we replace data by... Uh... <gasps> yes, yes. I do like my fun with words. Yeah, fun with words. Sorry, I was looking for the word there. Uh, yeah, so um, I've done uh, replace a song with data, replace a book with data, replace a TV show with data, and replace a film with data. And it always gets such great engagement. I, I love, um, and I've done the same with procurement as well, you know, replace a song with procurement. So it's been great fun, um, and I really enjoy that, that everyone gets involved. Some people have even written whole lyrics based around oh, yeah. data or procurement. It's really good, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, well, thanks a lot for for taking the time to to chat, Susan. I appreciate it. And, My pleasure. Uh, I know I'll be I'll be reaching out on LinkedIn, and I hope others to do as well uh, to join into the fun and and uh, get more literate on data. 
you've reminded me that I need to do a new post about that soon as well. Yeah, it's my pleasure to talk to you again soon, Sue. Take care. Yeah, yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Pure Procurement, hosted by yours truly, Joël Colin Demers. I hope you took away something from today's episode to help you keep fighting the good fight. If you have any comments or questions, you can stop by my website at pureprocurement.ca. There's a ton of procurement-related articles and resources there for you as well. If you like what you see, I'd love to count you as a subscriber. All you need to do that is click the big black button on the top right of the homepage and enter your email and first name. That's it. Thanks again for listening to Pure Procurement. Until next time.